0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode one hundred and three. How's it going? What's up? Happy Friday. It is day 599 of my quarantine. My new autobiography, forthcoming autobiography, will be called The Last Man Still Quarantining. But I'm okay with it. I'm a little sad that it looks like the vaccine for four-year-olds will be delayed a little bit longer. I'd really been hoping for January. January's not out of the cards yet, but... It's looking more like February or even March. That's a little rough. I'm not going to lie. But it's coming along. It's coming along. I'm probably going to get my booster shot this week. I guess this week. I don't really see the point. I don't go anywhere. (laughs) I guess I still do have this theoretical trip I want to take to New York in December. It's probably a bad idea, though. I mean, the numbers are getting better. The numbers are certainly getting better here. We almost peaked at 4,000 people in the state hospitalized. This both uh, in the previous wave last winter and in the Delta wave, just under 4000 people hospitalized in the state. And it's, it's been steadily declining now. It's down to uh, 1364 people hospitalized today, four or five people in the county still get covid every day, which is, you know, not a lot for a county of 60,000 people, but it's not nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I've been okay about it the last few days. Sometimes, sometimes I go into a abject spiral about it, but not lately. Lately, I'm fine again. (laughs) I like my house. It's fine. Whatever, man, I'm going to make it at least till December. I really want to do that trip. That trip is giving me a lot of hope. I did say it to my friends last night. My New York friends were like, so is this happening or what? And I was like, I assume so. The flight's booked. The hotel's booked. I got all my tickets. I was like, but even if I cancel it at the last minute because of the pandemic still, at least it provided me with something to look forward to for three months. <laughs> and, I, you know, that's that's got real utility. It's really making me happier to go think I might go see Genesis and Wet Leg and Yola Tango and uh, LCD sound system in four days. That that could be really fun. But, you know, if it doesn't happen, I still had got to look forward to it for a long time. My wife is very into hope. She's been she's been giving me a lot of talks lately about hope. And I've, you know, spent significant chunks of my life as an optimist. But it's definitely been since the Trump administration and into the pandemic. I've been less good about being an optimist than I used to because I had this revelation. uh, This is probably not something to talk about when you're someone who's trying to become more hopeful. Uh, You know, I was always like, oh, the world's always getting to be a better place. And I'm like, that's true, but it is not linear. And it goes up and down. And there has there are setbacks. And some of those setbacks last a very long time, like centuries. And you might not live to see the next time things get better <laughs> just because the world's always going to get better. It could take millennia. I mean, the Dark Ages were like a really, really long time. <laughs> you know? uh, so I think it's probably about five, six years ago I had that revelation. And it, it, it's really fucked with me, you know. But Emma is not disputing that, but she is pointing out that hope is more than a endeavor to be rationally correct about the prediction of the future it actually has an impact and she's not wrong and i know this rationally that hope breeds positivity so i have to just try and work at it i read some other thing somewhere some wise person was like you got to work for hope and i was like all right i will try and work for hope but yeah, it's actually been working, which is really weird. That's kind of cool. Uh not all the time. And you know, I, I have setbacks, but I'm feeling pretty good today and yesterday because the 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 infrastructure and build back better bills. Um yeah, I was reading a newsletter from an old friend of mine, a pretty popular political newsletter, and it was just like this is garbage, the dems are selling out and everything. And I was like, nah, man, I can't I can't get on board with you on that one. I never expected any of this and it's all a net gain and it's all amazing. It's not enough, but, <laughs> but I refuse to measure what uh, an accomplishment against perfection. I measure the accomplishment against the reality before the accomplishment. And if this gets done, it will be huge. It'll be the largest amount of money ever put forth by anyone ever in the history of mankind towards uh, improving the climate. It'll be the first time in 100 years we expanded education for two more years. That's huge. Uh, expanding, um, you know, health care for 9 million people, making it cheaper, making capping the expense on childcare for all middle class Americans, providing home care to the elderly. That's huge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. It's not enough, but it's a lot. And I'm choosing to be happy about it. Uh, Fall is here. I really like fall. Uh, The leaves haven't started falling yet, so I haven't begun my mad dash to collect them all with my vacuum mulcher to make leaf mold compost, but the air is brisk and it's lovely and I really like it, even if our walks are getting a little cold. Daylight is disappearing, which is sad, but one thing that's new now, I mean, it's been new for a few years now, but I'm really feeling it this year, is that I get up early. So, like, it's been bumming me out this week that when I wake up, it's dark but daylight savings time will have a positive side to it. The end of daylight savings time. I can't remember if it's starting or ending on whatever. Each time the time changes, it's daylight savings time to me. People always correct me and I'm not having it. I don't care. Um, but this year, you know, I wake up at seven and it will be daylight again when I wake up. And that is very exciting to me. That'll be awesome. It's going to suck a night, but it always sucked a night. Now I got this new positive aspect to it. Uh, I don't fully believe everything I'm telling you here. <laughs> But it's like what's been going through my head. I've been trying, you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I play too much of my video game. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I I, I time box it. I I play a lot on the weekends once all my chores are done. I really want to play today, but I don't think I'll get to play until this evening because I got a bunch of chores. And I play on for two hours on the nights that I'm not watching Jane. So every other night, three nights a week, I get two hours in. So, you know, I probably pay a play six, 10, 12, 12 hours a week of the game, which is a lot, but it's not too bad. You know, I, I, I it's, it's making me feel better. I'm really enjoying it. It's a great game. I like farming. I like mining. I like building little houses. <laughs> I don't really like fighting space pirates very much, but I don't like bribing them. So that's a little bit of a problem. I just try to avoid them. I run away. Brave Sir Robert ran away, but yeah, that's good time. Uh, there was an election in Pittsburgh. God, my computer is just beeping and beeping. I don't think you can hear it because I think it's in the headphones, but it's very annoying. Uh, election in Pittsburgh, but we don't actually live in the city limits, so we didn't get to vote in the election. But it's got the usual 21st century quackery people running, uh, which is totally depressing and crazy. And I'm trying not to think too much about it, even though it's really bad. Uh, my friend has, his mom's been on the school board for like 30 years in, in an unnamed town in an unnamed state. And, uh, she's got to run this year against some whack jobs that are freaking out about critical race theory. Uh, and you know, uh, long time listeners of the podcast are aware of how many history books I read and, and, uh, how much history of America I am aware is wrapped up in racism. So this whole thing for me feels particularly Orwellian since like, it's all obviously true <laughs> that, that white people have been really bad to bad people in America and America is fundamentally founded on racism for the last 300 years. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. So I don't really understand. I mean, I do understand why they are pushing it. They're pushing it cynically because it, it resonates with people. People don't want to believe they're bad. I'm not a racist. Uh, and you know, it just seems like, I don't know you know, It's so fundamentally misguided. It's a cynical play, man. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not talking about politics today. Uh, My health is okay. We've been eating a lot of birthday cakes because it was Jane's birthday. We had two cakes, so my weight is up two pounds, but I can live with that. My leg from the injury is mostly not fucked up, but it definitely, I think this weird knee problem I have is related to it, and I got to get that looked at, but I still don't know who to look at it. (laughs) It's (laughs) <laughs> uh it's a real problem I, like you cannot tell anything I, I don't know what to do i don't know what to do like you look at it it's fine i just can't touch it i can't touch it it hurts i can't kneel on it i can't touch it, it it's really crazy uh yeah so i really do need to do something about that i still haven't got my wagovi because cvs doesn't have it i gave him one last chance but i think i got a plan for that now there's this pharmacy down the street everybody loves and they've been all of the time on the local forums talk about how it's the greatest place in the world. And, and, uh, and they're one of the providers of booster shots, which I now qualify for. So I think I'm going to go to that place and make an appointment for the booster shot, go get it the booster shot, and then ask them if they can fulfill this prescription. And if they can, I'll get the prescription rewritten for them. So that's something I'm planning on doing next week. I got a big day out next Friday is basically what's going on. I got to deal with the cable box maybe, Although maybe not, the cable guy is finally coming today to fix the cable after six weeks. And uh, they they made an appointment before, and then they just canceled it unilaterally. They kept asking us. They kept saying it's fixed. Do you want? Uh, do you want? Still want the guy? And we kept saying yes. We still want the guy. And then the guy just didn't show up. They never said okay. Well, too bad. You don't get the guy. The guy just didn't show up, and it wasn't fixed, and it's still broken. And so now they're finally sending the guy today. So that's a thing. Uh, I had stock in WeWork. <laughs> have currently have stock in WeWork. Uh, I don't want it. I've never wanted it. (laughs) I invested in a company called field lens, maybe 10 years ago. And I really liked that guy. Doug chambers was his name. Field lens is a construction site management software. It was really cool. And, uh, I mean, good for, you know, good for Doug, whatever the company got bought by WeWork back in the heyday. And I was paid in stock, so I've had WeWork stock for years and years and years, back before any of the bad stuff was known, although I already didn't like them. And they, three times through the years, offered to buy it back. And every time I said yes, the first time was for $56 a share. And I said, yes, I want to sell this stock they said great and then the day before they were supposed to send the money they said never mind and then the second time they did it was at $23 a share and i said yes and then that was uh then they just said never mind and then the third time was at $17 a share and i said yes and then they said okay and then they said never mind and then i didn't hear from them for another year and now the stock is publicly traded at $11 a share so i want to point out i was 100% right every time and saying I should sell, but paradoxically, they were also hundred percent right in saying every time that they didn't want to buy at that price anyway. (laughs) So yeah, good for both of us, I guess. So where this leaves me now is they sent me an email and they're like, Hey, if you want to send your stock to your broker, you have to print these four pages out, fill them out and take them to your broker. And I'm like, okay, great. And then a day later, they're like, hey, here's a login to access your stock. And I was like, oh, cool. I don't actually want to transfer these shares. I just want to sell them. And so maybe I can just log in and sell them. So I make an account in this new system. Oh, it's got a great name. I've never heard of this company. They're called the lar- they're the largest people that deal with IPO stock. Linkstar, Continental Stock Transfer and Trust. Uh, I've only gone through an IPO once before, and it was with Twitter, and they didn't use these people. They used this company called Computer Share. that didn't even have a website. They are even worse. So I guess this is better. Um, but yeah, so I log in, I make the account, I log in and they're like, here's your stock. You have this many shares. It's not a lot, by the way, (laughs) it would have been some real money if I could have sold it $50 a share, but it's, it's not, it's nothing. It's a couple grand now. And, uh, I was like, okay, cool. Can I sell it? And they're like, no, (laughs) you can't do anything. All we do is show you how many shares you have. It's literally, that's it. That's all it's there for. You cannot do anything with it. So i got to print this form out, fill it out, and take it to my broker. I use Schwab. I use Schwab because there is an actual office in Chapel Hill, so luckily I can actually take this piece of paper to my broker. But God knows if the random dude working at the desk is going to know what to do with it. So I don't really know. i got to go do that. On top of that, Emma needs to open a brokerage account. My wife is very independent with her money. <laughs> she's content for me to manage her money, but she's not content to have them merged. <laughs> we have a lot of bank accounts Uh, Far more bank accounts than our our wealth level dictates. Uh, Emma's got two bank accounts on her own, maybe three. I've got my checking and savings that I've had since college. Um, She has a bank account with her, joint bank account with her mom, which is fair enough. And then we have our own two bank accounts for the, that we use jointly. We have the bank account we pay all our bills out of. We each deposit money into that bank account to pay all our bills, our joint bills, and then we have a line of credit at our bank uh, you know like when we bought the house it was like a weird financing thing because it was larger than the federal mortgages would do so we we paid a bunch of money and immediately got that money in a line of credit or something i don't remember the details but in buying the house we ended up getting a heloc on the house immediately so it's currently has you know we we owed it all at one point when we bought the house but now it's paid off so we have this. God, I don't I'm talking about this anyway we got like four banks emma keeps too much money in cash in her bank and the deal has always been that we wouldn't keep a ton of cash in our joint bank accounts that we would once that we would hit a certain number and then the rest would go into schwab into brokerage and she's okay with that but she doesn't want to mix it into my brokerage account <laughs> so at schwab we have my brokerage account the 529 for jane my, my scp which is like a 401k for uh, contractors, I had, the, I got that when I was a contractor, a consultant and her SEP because she's a consultant and now we're going to have a fifth account at Schwab of her brokerage account which I will manage but it will be hers so I got to go in and fill out the paperwork and or sign, get her to sign the paperwork and bring it in to open this account and make the initial deposit into it so I got to go to Schwab, I got to go to the pharmacist I got to go to AT&T, it's going to be a whole day got to go to the Asian pharmacy this is really fascinating stuff isn't it? <laughs> I'll move on Anyway next Friday Big day Big day for my health And financial wellness (laughs) It was Jane's birthday This week That was super cute She turned four We had a little birthday party Consisting of me Emma and Janet Big surprise we thought about inviting some people, but in the end, we're just like, no, we're paranoid COVID freaks. So we did not. Uh, she had a great time, though. She opens presents now. She knows what they are. She loves them. She likes the cake. She knew she was turning four. She knew she, uh, we, we made a whole thing of it. Emma took the crib apart. We have some friends that were very adamant that you leave the crib together as long as possible. And we did. It's been moot for ages because she's been able to climb out for like a year. So Emma was like, we're just going to make a whole thing of this day. And that's going to be the day that we convert the crib into a big big girl bed. So we did that. She's been saying for months, she'd start using the potty when she turned four and she tried for the first day. But by the second day she was like, no, I'm not into this. And she just started not doing it again. And I was like, okay. Um, And like, you know, we're like going long periods of time without her wearing a diaper, which is cool. But then she just doesn't poop and it's really frustrating. And I can't really deal with her pooping her pants or something when I'm working so on my shift in the morning, I don't really do that. I, she wears a diaper until she poops. This is also way TMI. But yeah, was, you know, so much for big girl stuff. She just lasted one day, and then she got totally cranky yesterday. And it was like exactly like the cranky I get when I just want to play my video game, and somebody tells me I have to do some chores. Like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. And it's like, it's not that person's fault that they telling me I have to do the chore. I have to do the chore. It is my responsibility just because I want to sit there and play a video game or whatever uh and i'm just looking at my daughter and i'm like this is i know exactly this mood you're in it's the mood of like i told i said i would do something and now i really don't want to do it (laughs) (laughs) so it was very cute but she's good otherwise she can draw like crazy beautiful like she drew this like really sort of i put it in the newsletter today but it's like ghost kittens i don't really know what it is she can write letters she can tell time it's crazy she's doing great um but yeah the the drawing is really coming along and the I knew she could write her name and I knew she could do like dot to dot tracing of letters, but I didn't know she could just sit down at a piece of paper and be like, I want to write a word and then write that word. It's like she's writing. I mean, it's one word at a time and the word is usually meow, but you know, it's not nothing. It's pretty impressive. Anyway, yeah, she's good. Work's good. I don't really feel like talking about work right now. It's Friday. It's my day off, but they're still bugging me. So hold on one second. Let me deal with that. Okay, that is done. Taking every Monday off is brilliant, but I didn't, I thought I told everyone, but I didn't. So they don't really, you know, when you take a real vacation, you're like, I'll be gone for a week. And they all know you're gone for a week, but they just keep forgetting I have every Friday off because I wasn't going to take a vacation. Because what was I going to do? I mean, I already have like five or six days at Thanksgiving and six or seven days at Christmas coming forward the rest of the year. I don't need more time to sit around my house doing nothing. I'm not going to go on a vacation because I'm paranoid quarantine freak because my daughter can't get vaccinated. So, yeah, long weekends are the way to go. Uh, But, yeah, otherwise, work's going fine. Uh, ATT is the Apple privacy stuff. It definitely had an impact, and I think I said this all last week. But we're moving past that. Revenue's growing, and it's time to look to the future, man. Uh, the work section is also usually the tech section and I would go on a long rant about Facebook or something, but I just went on a long rant in my daily email about Facebook and their name meta. So I'm not going to do that. I'm trying to not overlap, which leads me to my next big dilemma, which is, I think I might stop doing this podcast. I don't know. Or maybe I'll just change it to talk about media because I talk about all this beginning stuff in my daily email and it feels very redundant. And I know some people like podcasts, but I mean, we're not talking like an audience of thousands here. We cross the two of them. It just seems a little excessive. Um, So, you know, like uh, I tend to not go on and on and on about music and movies and stuff in my daily email. And I, I like to talk about that stuff. I, I'm a media consumer. So I might do that here instead. I mean, I already do and just cut it to be that part. I don't really know. I might just stop. Part of me thinks I should have stopped at 100 episodes, made a nice round number and been done with it. But it's something that I've been thinking about. If you have an opinion, let me know. If you're a podcast-only listener you don't read the email or you just love this format more, maybe I'll keep going. Maybe I'll just make it a little bit less often. I don't know. Advice welcome. Uh, And it's funny because, you know, today, when I was thinking all this this morning, uh, Jane's at Grammys and was asleep. I get this morning myself. It's my favorite morning of the week. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But now that I'm doing it, I mean, you're probably bored because all I'm doing is babbling about what's on my mind. But it's quite enjoyable to babble on my mind about what's on my mind. So it's actually quite pleasant for me to be doing this. But it just seems maybe it's a little redundant. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what's going on there. Got a bunch of gardening this week. It's very exciting. I am moving the birdies' beds. I made a video about it on my YouTube channel, which I'm going to keep because it's just hilarious. Ten people watch it. It's all about gardening. It's probably done for the year, but I'll start it up next year. Anyway, like, uh, I've been trying to figure out next year's plan, and I got it all figured out. I got two more birdies' beds. These big, big metal raised beds, like five, six feet by three, four feet. Big, big beds. they know, like two square yards or two cubic yards of dirt. They're huge. Now I have four of them. They're great. They're awesome but I decided I need to put them in a different place. Two of them were already filled up. So I had to figure out how to move them. There's no videos online about how to move them. I had to figure it out. I made a video, so if you want to go watch it, it's up on YouTube. But, um, yeah, so today I got another. <laughs> my wife is very into placement of things in the yard and stuff like that, so I had her place them where she wanted, but they're on this hill. So I need to level them off today and then start dumping dirt into them. That's very exciting. And then I'm going to put some winter you know cover crop in them that i got from johnny seeds uh hairy vetch and the lake to you know help the soil out with nitrogen through the winter for next year's planting so that's my big task for this weekend the other big gardening thing is i set up the indoor growing area last year i did this in the garage it was awesome i had a big area where i grew all my basil for the winter and it was super convenient because the garage was right off the kitchen and so when i was making my stir fry I just run into the garage water the plants cut the basil go back and keep cooking. But the thing is, is the garage got really cold in the winter, and so I was running a space heater in there, and it added like $40 a month, maybe $50 to our electric bill. It was really insane, and I don't want to do that again. So this year, I'm doing the growing of the basil in my office. I I thought I wasn't going to like it, but it's actually kind of nice. Like, the daylight from the grow light's really nice. The basil smells really nice. Uh, And it's on a timer, and, you know, I water it in the morning. It's a little bit of a hassle, or it's going to be a little bit of a hassle to remember to cut a sprig of basil before I go up to lunch because right now in the summer the basil's on the pat the the deck right out on the other side of the kitchen i can just get it like i could in the winter with the gar- the with the garage now i have to remember to bring up some basil but i think it's gonna work and it's been it's definitely brightened my mood in my office to have these plants in here and uh also because it's autumn so i can open my window ooh actually i didn't do that yet today i'm gonna go open my window one second oh yeah it's awesome it just smells so good with the basil and the the open window. I love it. I can hear the birds chirping. It's fantastic. So yeah, that's been nice. Uh, but other than that, and a lot of gardening, I've been harvesting all the peppers. One of the two original birdies beds, I've completely harvested all the peppers, taken out the plants, and I've moved that bed. The other one is filled with a, sort of like a, it's called Johnny's Red Flame. It's called the Red Flame Pepper from Johnny Seeds. So I call them Johnny's Red Flames. They're about six inches long. They're like a, Giant sized Thai chili pepper. They start green and they turn red and they're better when they're red and they're called red flame. So I want them to be red. I have hundreds of these things on the bush and I'm just waiting for them all to turn red so I can harvest them. I have so many peppers this year. It's insane. I probably have two years of peppers. (laughs) I definitely overdid it. It's the one big success in the garden this year. The lettuce is doing really well this fall and it looks like my snow bees are doing pretty well this fall as well. Uh, But a lot of stuff failed The celery failed, the tomatoes failed The cucumbers failed, (laughs) like some basic shit But then I was watching this gardening Two different gardeners recently say how hard carrots were And my carrots didn't succeed But the part they say is hard, like getting them to sprout My carrots sprout, I don't know, I have great luck sprouting carrots So I don't know what's up with that Uh, They don't get very big (laughs) Because I've been doing them in a whiskey barrel, I guess But uh, they sprout. It's, you know, I've got, it's a mixed bag. But my plans for next year are, are pretty exciting. Four big birdies beds and two hoop houses. Tomatoes in the hoop house keep the deer and the squirrels away. Should be awesome. Should be awesome. I'm excited for next year. But I'm also excited that after I get these birdies beds leveled and the cover crop on them and those peppers harvested, I'm basically done for the year and I can take November, December, January off before I start my seeds in February. So that'll be kind of fun, I think. Maybe. Maybe it'll be sad. (laughs) Hadn't thought of that. We'll see. Uh, Anyway, it is now time to move on to music and media. Let's just do it. Because I'm rambling. Sorry about that. Uh, And it's not too long this week. Uh, I did this this episode these last two weeks. I I listened to some stuff. I, I watched some stuff. But it's not one of those things where I have like 100 albums. So we can get through this pretty quick. Thanks for bearing with me. My editor hates the way I do that. Lisa is editing. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Lisa is still working on the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You book, and she writes to me, and she's like, you got to stop apologizing for what you're writing. People are here to read it and listen to it because they like it, but I'll never stop. I'm Gen X. I apologize for having opinions and thinking about things and talking about them and telling you things and putting you out. It's just the way I am. Uh, anyway, new stuff on Plex. Uh, so my Plex server died this week. It was really shitty. Uh, the QNAP said it had a firmware update. It does one of these like every week or two. They're always fine. And I was like, yeah, update the firmware and it updated the firmware. And then Plex didn't launch. And I know what happened. It just like the, you know, I, I read some like, a couple of tech support articles and they're like, your Plex probably has a corrupted playlist or corrupted library and you can just, you know, launch Plex and then rebuild the library or not rebuild the library, replace it, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, oh, my God, that's like meddling around at the like command line level on a Linux based server. And I'm capable of this, but it's going to take so long and I know it'll fix this easily even if it might take a little longer, which is to just rebuild the libraries from scratch. And so I did that because it was like the devil you know versus the devil you don't know, right? And it am taking me like six hours to rebuild all the libraries from scratch, rebuild my playlist real quick, change the cover art for the ones that didn't have it. Significantly less time than it used to take that Plex has made a lot of improvements to that. So thank you, Plex. But still took a while, but I was like, well, that at least I know how long it'll take. Otherwise, it's like I'm reading tech forums and like trying to get tech support from QNAP and Plex, and it's just a big mess, and this update's brand new, and like either that means I'm the only one that's got this problem, in which case they won't know how to solve it, or a million people have this problem, in which case their, their tech support is overloaded. So it's just not worth it. I'm sticking with what I know, even if it's a little bit more annoying. Uh, at least it's the devil you know, right? So I rebuilt the whole Plex server this week, Back up and running, which means I had to, like, every, you know, I have, like, 40 people I'm sharing my Plex libraries with. I had to, like, reshare them with each person individually. I had to, like, delete the old server. I had to, like, add the cover art to every different movie. I wanted a different cover art on or They didn't have any. It was a pain, but it's done. Uh, so I haven't added a lot this week. I added Ishtar. <laughs> I was thinking about Ishtar. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion Ishtar isn't as bad as I remember people were saying. I I, I suspect Ishtar is kind of an okay movie, and I want to rewatch Ishtar, which is kind of a stupid waste of time in a lot of ways, but I'm going to do it eventually, Uh, and then I got a better copy of Cecil B. DeMille's Sign of the Cross, because I got it off of NetflixDVD.com, and I just had a crappy Blu-Res copy up there before, if you're into Cecil B. DeMille, and... I've been thinking about this movie. It's in my head from my childhood. Like in elementary school one year in the winter, we didn't have recess because it'd be 40 below. Whenever we did, it was too cold for recess, which I think the cutoff was 40 below. It might've been 30. Um, They, we would stand inside and we would watch movies. And I remember this movie called the big, I couldn't remember the name of it, but it's called the big bus. It's like a screwball comedy about a large atomic powered bus. But I remember my whole life, this movie and the fact that this bus had a bowling alley in it and shit and like I was like, why do I always think of this movie? And I wanted to know what it was, so this week I Googled "bus movie," movie with a bus with a bowling ball, a bowling alley in it, and I found as soon as I saw the the name of the movie and the like key art, I was like, that's the movie. <laughs> so I just downloaded it, The Big Bus, from 1976, I think 76, might have been 78. Uh I haven't watched it yet. I just got it up there yesterday, so that's pretty exciting. Those are the only three things I added to Plex this week, because it was mainly a rebuild week. Uh I sold two things on Discogs. I sold the Sixths, the number six, THS. Uh it is a spin-off band of Stephen Merritt of the Magnetic Fields. It is the band where he writes a bunch of songs and a bunch of guest artists sing them. And this is their first album, Hyacinths and sing- oh, God, Hyacinths and Thistles. Man, that is all very alliterative. The Sixths, Highest Synths, and Thistles. Uh, Great record. Owned two copies, had the vinyl already. Love that record so much. And uh, strong recommend if you've never listened to it. And I sold a Alternative Tentacles sampler that I've owned for uh, 30 years or something. It's called The Agony and the Ecstasy. Uh, It was sent to me by Alternative Tentacles back when I was a radio person, and uh, I just sold it. I guess I'm okay with it. Only got four pieces of vinyl in the last two weeks, which I think is very responsible f- of me uh, compared to that one week where I told you I got like 30 pieces of vinyl. Uh, I got the new Spiritualized reissue program. They are on their fourth album now, Let It Come Down. I got that, double white vinyl, nice pressing. already own the, I, that's the first, all the early Spiritualized stuff I own, all first pressings. I bought it when it came out. When Let It Come Down came out, I did not buy the vinyl because I didn't really love the album. I love it now. It was stupid. I own a, I bought the CD when it came out, but I did not buy the vinyl. It's the only Spiritualized album I didn't buy the vinyl the, the week it came out, and I regretted it pretty quickly, so I, even the next few that I, even I didn't like, I bought them right away before Songs and A&E, which I love. Anyway, whatever. Uh, and I do own the Plain Recordings reissue from like 10 years ago, but I bought this one, and it's beautiful. So the Spiritualized reissue program delivered once again. Uh, I bought, and also The Trees It is a goth band from the 80s from England, maybe Ireland, somewhere in the United Kingdom. Uh, or maybe Ireland. <laughs> God, you know what? I want to know suddenly where And Also the Trees are from. Hold, please. Inkborough, Worcestershire, England. Uh, anyway, they originally rose to fame because Simon Gallup of The Cure produced their first LP. I already have that. Uh, I've, I've already owned all these albums on CD for 20 years, but I only owned two And Also the Trees albums on vinyl, The Claxon and Green is the Sea, and I wanted the rest of them. Uh, last year in England only the first album self-titled produced by Simon Gallup of the Cure was reissued for Record Store Day and my friend Gareth in California has a hookup in England and he got me a copy so that was very exciting and then this year just now uh Endless of the Trees announced in England only for sale that you could get Virus Meadow their second album was being reissued so I rolled the dice and I sent them however much absurd amount of money it costs to get a record bought and delivered in English pounds to America. It's like 45 bucks or something. And you know, when you order a record from England, it's always expensive. And on top of that, you never know when you're going to get it. As you guys will recall from two weeks ago with that for those, I love record that took six months to come. I literally, when I sent when I click pay on this, I was like, well, who knows if that, when, or if that will ever show up, but you know what? it showed up within two, less than two weeks, and it's here already, and that's fantastic. So thank you, and also The Trees, for being on it. Uh, thank you for letting me listen to Virus Meadow again. I sold the CD quite some time ago, and I did not own it anymore, so I haven't listened to it. It's not on Spotify. I did rip the CD, so I guess I could have listened to it. But uh, yeah, it's great, great record. Love it. Love early and also the trees. Uh, I also bought a reissue of Lady Tron's album, 604, which I never owned on vinyl. And I love that's the one with uh, he took it to a movie. And that's the way that I found you. That's just the way the way that I found you. Uh, it's a great record. It's on red vinyl for one disc and clear vinyl for the other disc. It is two times 45 and it's awesome. And I got the new Zeno and Oaklander uh, video, it's called, on Deus Records, and it's great too. I love that band. I would love to see them again. Um, seen them twice. First time Sam from Ghostly and I went to see them. He obviously he had signed them, so he'd already seen them, but we saw them at uh, local 286. No, wait, 286 Kent. <laughs> 286 Kent, not glass. Yeah, 286 Kent. 25, whatever that place. I miss it so much, but I can't even remember the number anymore. Anyway, we saw them there. It was awesome. Uh, Yeah, so that record's great. Came out and I strongly recommend it. Uh, Albums I listened to this week. Tombstones in their eyes. Looking for a light Uh, that came from Jesse. It's kind of dark shoegazy. Jesse's my old roommate and friend. Uh, Liz enthusiasm from Freeze Pop. We share a love of shoegaze and she apprises me of new shoegaze bands that she likes. And this is one of them. Tombstones in their eyes. Great record. Gotta cough. Hold, please. Namesake is the name of the album or band. The album is Redeeming Features. I don't remember why this is in my Spotify. It's kind of sounded a little bit like uh, Modern Lovers, Roadrunner, and I really liked it. It was good. Redeeming Features by the band Namesake. Um, Under Islands, a number less. I don't remember that one at all, and I didn't make a note about it, so I can't tell you anything about that, so that's a shame. You know what? Let's pause and do a quick little double check on that. Oh, you know, that was pretty good, actually. It's, it's a four-song EP, uh, and it was kind of like what I call W Hotel Lobby music, like sort of sophisticated Nella Electronica. It's pretty good, pretty good. I was into that. Uh, the world is a beautiful place, and I am no longer afraid to die. I've always liked this band for their name. I'm a sucker for long band names, my band being Rockets Burst from the Street Lamps. Uh, I always really loved when people were shorter and lived near the water, you know. I just like long band names. It's a thing. Uh, but they've always been a great band, and they're kind of post-rock, a little bit more melodic. They have a lady singer and a post-rock band. That's not something you get a whole lot. My friend Annie would beg to differ because she is a post-rock expert and knows every post-rock band in America, in Europe, and Japan, and there's probably 50 with lady singers she could name, but not me. And I really liked it. It's a great album. Illusory Walls. I really liked the last song. It's like 15 minutes long. It has some quality post-rock action right there. Uh, Lana Del Rey's new album, Blue Bannisters, growing on me by the day. I was not a huge fan of Chemtrails Over the Country Club. I mean, I loved it. I love Lana Del Rey. And I didn't, didn't used to love Lana Del Rey. Uh, I didn't care. I mean, it's weird. When she was really big at the beginning with the video games and stuff like that, I was like, this is pretty good. And I would buy the records because I just bought everything back then. But I didn't really like her that much. It was like, she's fine. Uh And then I thought Born to Die was pretty good. And then Norman fucking Rockwell I just loved. And I thought it was like the greatest album of like... 20, last 20 years or something. So I was really excited for that. And my expectations for chemtrails were way too high and they did, it did not meet them. Thus commensurately, my expectations for blue banners was very low and it exceeded them. And I'm very into it. I think it's a great record. The lyrics are just phenomenal. She's, she's, she's great. She's a weirdo. She's kind of, yeah, but she's great. Jean, J E E N. the album is called dog bite. Jean were kind of a great noisy space rock, uh almost shoegaze. Jesus and Mary Chain kind of band. Uh, they had a great album like three four years ago. Uh, and they've evolved. They're, they're like more song driven now and less noise driven. And it's good. It's, uh kind of reminds me of like some bands like um, early Mercury Rev certain bits or uh, Roller Skate Skinny or uh, like that, that period uh, early Flaming Lips like uh, uh, Hit Me Like You Did The First Time Era Flaming Lips yeah, songs uh, Hit The Death In The future head um pop songs with fuzz jesus and mary chain still i guess you could say yeah uh it's great uh, a little bit more beach boys thing too so maybe in usa era jesus and mary chain instead of just like honey era jesus and mary chain <laughs> but it's great black star kids all one word all caps puppies forever these guys are awesome they're like a shoegaze hip-hop group from i think omaha I don't remember who told me about them, but they were so right. that album is fantastic uh, Shoegaze hip hop from the midwest cannot say enough good things about it puppy puppies forever from Black star kids uh I listened to the new Victoria Modesta album uh Victoria is a electronica artist, also a model uh amputee known as sort of the, a bionic model I believe is what uh she's called uh she is the long-term partner of my old partner at Barbarian, Ben Palmer. So I met her a few times. don't know her real well, uh, but I like her. And uh, I knew she used to make music and uh, I listened to her old music, but it, she hasn't made any in a while. And she just put on a new album. And so I listened to it and it's good. Uh, you know, it is electronica. It is very dance forward electronica. I like my electronica a little bit more mellow, but it's solid. Strong recommend there. Listen to the new Coldplay, Music of the Spheres. (laughs) Why did I listen to this? I I, I liked the first Coldplay record. Uh, I was supposed to go see them with Susie, and we never did. It was really sad. And then uh, I'd cut them on the second album. They played a secret show at the Paradise in Boston before the album came out, and it was awesome. And I really like a few songs off that second record. I've seen them at festivals since, but I stopped caring about them. I like that they got Brian Eno to produce that album. I don't know. I'm, I guess I was academically curious. The reviews were so scathing. I was like, I got to listen to see if this is really that bad. And it's not really that bad. It is a little bland. There is one really good Mellow song on there that I really liked. But yeah, I mean, it didn't move me one way or the other, which I guess is what those reviews were saying. And I guess so I guess they weren't wrong. Black Marble. Uh, So this is on Sacred Bones. It's an EP or a short album. It's called Preoccupation. Um, I assumed it would be sort of Sacred Bones style, which means like noisy, kind of scary, maybe a little experimental or avant-garde. But no, it's just like cool, dark, mellow synth pop, and I'm really into it. (laughs) Black Marble. Listen to the new Phineas album. Phineas, of course, is Billie Eilish's brother and the producer of her records and winner of last year's Record of the Year Grammy for production uh he has a solo album it's called Optimist. I enjoyed it. It's not getting good reviews, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh and then I listened to the new Deerhoof, which has a great album title. It's called Actually You Can, which is just the best title. I thought that was awesome. I never really liked Deerhoof. I used to see them a lot back in their experimental early days, they played with my sister's band Alston and stuff like that. And uh I didn't like them. And I but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give him another chance. It was decently reviewed in Pitchfork, and I really love the album title. And it's not bad. And I mean it's not my thing quite. It's um it's still in that sort of Times New Viking g- glitch noise punk. Uh Angular, I think was the word they used to use for it. Like Math Rock without the math. And I've never really enjoyed that stuff. It was never my thing. I like the the drone and the flow and the improv and the noise and the psych versus the like, not my thing, but so they've like toned that down a little bit and there are real songs and structures. And so I like that about it. I really like the title. I like some of the the lyrics. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Not my thing, but it wasn't bad. Uh, And then finally I subscribed to Damon Krukowski's email newsletter. Damon Krukowski was the drummer for galaxy 500. And then he is the titular Damon in Damon and Naomi his post-Galaxy 500 band with his partner, Naomi Yang, who was the bassist in Galaxy 500. And they are both in a band called Magic Hour. Is that right where there's a Magic Hour? Where's a Crystallized? No, it's Magic Hour, right? Yeah, they were Magic Hour. Oh my God, I have to look this up now. It's been too long. Yes, Magic Hour. All right, so (laughs) Wayne and Kate. Wayne Rogers, Kate Bigger from Crystallized Movements, and Damon and Naomi all got together in a band called Magic Hour. I would see all these bands in Boston in the mid-'90s. I was completely obsessed with Damon and Naomi's solo stuff, but especially Magic Hour and Crystallized Movements and the psych stuff that they all were doing. I probably saw Magic Hour 20 times. Crystallized Movements, like four or five, because they were kind of not as... Crystallized Movements were sort of a Connecticut based band. Wayne and Kate moved to Boston, then they got Damon and Naomi to make Magic R instead. But Crystallized Movements would play once in a while. But I mean, my God, I saw Magic R so many times. Anyway, I really love Damon. (laughs) He's a great writer. He's great on Twitter. He's an educator. He's active in like musicians' rights, things like that. And he's got a newsletter, and I love it. This whole last newsletter was about a Japanese band I had heard of and listened to, but I didn't know anything about. And they were called Les Rallies des Nudes. Uh, and I, you know, I listened to them and I was just like, oh, they're like Acid Mother's Temple, which is one of my favorite Japanese psych rock bands. I love them. Um, but in fact, I didn't realize how old Les released the nude was that they were around since the 60s and they had this legendary status and that they're like, they like nobody knew who the lead singer was. He wasn't seen in public, blah, 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 blah. This whole thing. The bass player was involved in a hijacking of a plane. He, he defected in North Korea. He lived there for 40 years. I think he's back in Japan now, but nobody will admit it. Whatever. It's all very fascinating. They, most All the releases in there are like 50 of them are all bootlegs. They didn't really put albums out. They believe more in the live format. I'm not completely convinced it's not all a hoax. <laughs> but uh, I was like, he was writing about their sort of uh, most seminal album. It's called uh, Mizutani. And I think that's because it's a live show that took place at a place called Mizutani, not 100% sure. Anyway, so I listened to that, and then I listened to two other of their more popular bootlegs, the 1979 bootleg and heavier than a death in the family bootleg. And they're great. I love them. They remind me a lot of Acid Mother's Temple or The Source Family. A lot of people doing that stuff around that time. I wouldn't say there's groundbreaking, but I don't have a keen sense of the timing but I mean 79 you you got the source family going by then and you got some other stuff going by then, but like, really, they they seem to have existed out of time in the sixties, kind of like the silver apples, like hard to believe this band existed as early as it did. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed them a lot. I'll probably listen to more. I found a a archive of of, like 30 of their uh, bootleg albums and there's about six of them on Spotify. So I'm going to work at least my way through the other three on Spotify. So that's it for music. Uh TV, we finished uh lower decks. Very sad to see it go. Uh, Star Trek Adult Animated Cartoon. Strong recommend. It was hilarious. We are still watching Mythbusters. We are in the second to last season. I bet we finished that by the time I talk to you again. Well, 1530. 15... No, I probably got two or three more weeks on Mythbusters. Got about 35 more episodes. Um and we watch one or Two a Night. So call it two a night. That'd be three weeks. <laughs> uh yeah anyway uh it's fun i'm still enjoying it i'll be sad to see it go we're uh keeping up with snl and uh, it's pretty good this season there's some good stuff uh yeah uh, you know what do you say about snl um Uh, Jason Sudeikis was a good host. Uh, Casey Musgrave was awesome. The the musical guests have by and large been great. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Brandy Carlisle was fantastic. Uh, Daniel Craig was a good host. Uh, yeah, it was good. It's been good. It's been good. I enjoy it. Very sad that there was no, uh, David S. Pumpkins this year. They should have brought David S. Pumpkins back. That's sad. Uh, we are watching Ted Lasso now, uh, and I we are binging effectively one one episode every night or two and uh, like maybe four episodes a week. So that middle period where people are like, I don't know if this is going to be good or gone. Let's take four five, six. We just plod right through that part and it was fine. So, you know, pacing really doesn't matter. I, I, it's weird. Like some shows are better when they're done faster. Some shows are better when they're done slower. For example, opposite of that is Foundation, which all came out at once, uh, the Isaac Asimov adaptation, which is on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, and it got very bad reviews because, well, not because, but the critics definitely watched like five episodes in a row and then reviewed it. We are doling it out one episode a week on Saturday usually. And I like it a lot. I mean, I can see problems with it, that but it's better than I thought it would be for adapting an impossible-to-adapt book. The paradox of it is that it is so good of an adaptation, I could see how it could be better. Uh, Which means they did all the hard parts of adapting an unadaptable book to TV, and they did them mostly well. But then they made a few problems because they didn't realize how well they did on the main stuff. It's hard to explain, but uh, that gives me confidence. It's been greenlit for a season two, and I think it could be better in season two. So I'm going to stick with it even though it did one really dumb plot thing in the last episode that upset me, but I'm going to let it go and I'm going to keep having faith in foundation. Uh, Ted, Lasso, Foundation SNL foundation. That's it. Uh, the only movie I watched, well, I rewatched the hunger, <laughs> 1983, David Bowie, Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon film directed by the legendary Tony Scott, One of my favorite film directors. I think he's a better director than his more famous brother, Ridley. That's probably a controversial statement. Domino is a great movie. Uh, Speaking of which, i got to rewatch Domino one of these days, (laughs) as is True Romance. Anyway, Tony Scott's awesome. Uh, Killed himself by jumping off a bridge, which is dark. The Hunger was his debut film uh, Bauhaus is in it what uh, what's not the like, leg man I mean literally in the movie the the members of the band are in the movie <laughs> David Bowie stars it's it's fantastic the cinematography is awesome the soundtrack is fantastic the plot is great but they they mess up the ending I've never read the book because I'm not a Whitley Strieber fan because of that whole insisting that aliens are real thing and that they abducted, abducted him, I don't know, whatever. I haven't actually delved into it. All my opinions about Whitley Strieber are from the 80s, so correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, So I've never read the book, but I just sense that the ending of the film is wrong and that the book had a better ending, and I want to compare them. And I found this weird research paper on ResearchGate that's like nine pages long that's like the ending of The Hunger <laughs> compared to the book and movie, and it's on my desktop, but I haven't read it yet, so i got to read that. But uh, by and large, it was very satisfying to watch The Hunger again. And then, of course, I watched Dune, another adaptation uh, of an unfilmable thing. And uh, it is fantastic. Um, Yeah, comparing Dune to Foundation is tough because they're doing two very different things. And I don't think that the term unfilmable is a term without degrees. I think Dune is Way more filmable than Foundation. Dune is something that was, and Denis Villeneuve has said this himself. He said this in an interview I read in the New York Times. Dune was deemed unfilmable because, partially because of the David Lynch version, and also it was deemed unfilmable in the context of Hollywood films as they were made at the time, which means that, you know, Lynch did his best, but you can't cram that giant book into a two hour film but we've already solved that problem. Uh, That is what TV is for. That is what Game of Thrones is. We routinely adapt 900-page books with too much plot to fit into two hours into longer things now. That is not something that is considered unfilmable anymore. Nobody considers a long book unfilmable simply because of of its length and amount of plot. And that is really the only reason Dune was ever considered unfilmable. I guess there was a further barrier that, is moot now for all quote unquote unfilmable things, which are the technical limitations of visual effects. But that's been, that's been taken care of for well over a decade or two now. So those are very different things than the way that foundation is unfilmable, right? Like foundation is unfilmable. The single book, In the same way that Dune the series could be unfilmable in the sense that it spans hundreds of years and that there are no single main characters and that it's very hard because of the way the Hollywood system works with actors under contract and the way people's hearts work where they attach to characters when they watch film properties. Foundation has no main character. Foundation has no characters that make it through the book. Hari Seldon's spirit lives through the book, but he dies very early on. And so it is unfilmable in a different way in the sense that like, it's hard to make it compelling for people that want compelling characters because everybody just keeps dying. So foundation had to solve a lot more fundamental problems than Villeneuve has to solve with Dune. My God, there's a rooster crowing. Do you like that? I live in the woods, man. So, I make it make more allowances for Foundation than I make for Dune. Dune needs to be perfectly the book. That's what he set out to do. He said he was making it for himself. First and foremost, as a reader of the book and a lover of the book, he was making the book. Foundation does not have that luxury. Making the book would just be almost impossible to follow as a human being that likes watching visual storytelling with characters in it. It could be done if you abandon the concept of actors and characters. Uh, And we are on the precipice of potentially doing that if you look at sort of uh, anthology shows like uh, American X Story, you know, American Crime Story, Horror Story, that sort of thing, Fargo, uh, True Detective. We are getting to the point where the public will attach itself to a story-driven intellectual property without characters running through the whole thing. Foundation does not make that leap. It is thus far trying to keep characters involved all the way through. And so once you've made that decision, it takes you in directions that by necessity, take you away from the source material. Foundation is an adaptation. It is a evolution of the book. Whereas Dune is a faithful retelling of the book. I love them both. Dune therefore is inherently more satisfying because in a way it takes less risks that says, I do not mean to in any way imply that Dune is not risky. It was hugely risky, uh, and it is beautiful, and it, the acting is amazing. Lady Jessica is a revelation. I thought it was great. I need to see it again. But I think we should give Foundation a little bit more credit. The end. Put that through Texas speech and put it up on Medium. <laughs> All right, we're about done. Uh, other than that, I finished, uh, I think I talked about finishing. Them. Maybe I wasn't quite done yet. The Horror of New York by Eliara Rue, finished that up. And then I re- I'm i in the middle of now, To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the nation's oldest public university by Gita N. Kapoor. The nation's oldest public university is, of course, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This isn't entirely 100% true, but they like to pretend it is the only one that is in the running for nation's oldest public university. There are a couple other candidates, but we won't let that stop us from what is a very interesting book about the chief economic driver of my region of the state and country, that multi-billion dollar campus thing just up the road, five ten minutes away. Uh, I don't, you know, I haven't lived in this state for a long time. I don't know a lot about the history of the state. I know it was a racist Southern state. Uh, the beginning of this book was hugely traumatizing And it was very, very hard to read. I knew that slavery and UNC were inextricably intertwined, but I didn't know it was that bad. Uh, It was a little bit disorienting skipping from Reconstruction past the New Deal Deal without any comment of anything that happened for 70 years. And I was a little annoyed with that for a while there. But now we are in the Jim Crow era, and... Focusing on the efforts to desegregate the school, and it is again intensely fascinating. It's also a history of the state. It's a history of the city of Durham, uh, a little bit of the history of the town of Chapel Hill. But the town of Chapel Hill and the university itself are so inextricably entwined that they are almost one and the same at this point. Uh, it's it's a good book. I'm into it. It is very compelling. I read about an hour of it every night. I'm more than halfway through. Uh, it's depressing. It's sad. Uh, it's most sad to. I, I I mean, I'm not surprised by this. And if you had asked me whether or not I thought it was true and raised the issue, I would have said, yeah, it's probably true. But just to see all these names of people that are the names of streets and neighborhoods around here and know that they are slaveholders is very hard. Uh, yeah, that's me uh, losing my naivete about a subject. Lots of other people take deep offense at and have for longer. I realize that, but it, it's hard to do and it, it bums me out. And I don't like living in a place where <laughs> everything is named after slaveholders. It's not everything, and it's fewer and fewer, but it is still, it's still a pain. It's still sad. But the book is great. I will talk more about it in two weeks when I'm done. That's it for this uh, two-week period, this episode. Thank you for listening. Let me know if you think I should keep doing these. I'm kind of thinking I might stop. But uh, if you do enjoy them and they make you happy, drop a line. Let me know. Hope your weekend is going to be swimming. And I will talk to you guys in uh, two weeks. Have a lovely November.